this event that I've been building up to, part three, uh, Decoding 666. We have a brand new book, The 666 Beast Identified, What It Means to You. We've got a lot of these in the back. We've actually got cases of them. Uh, the price is very, just way down, just a few dollars. And we're here to share the book, what's in the book, what's in Revelation, especially dealing with the closing scenes of this world's history. I don't believe we're going to be here for a whole lot longer. Uh, I think the day is, is coming sooner than we think when we are actually going to not go to any more ASI conventions. <laughs> we're going to look up and we're going to see Jesus come in the clouds. And I, I, I mean, I really believe that. And I was up at 4.30 this morning, and the Lord was just working with me about this message, this last message. So uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter 13, verse 18. This is the grand finale of a series that I've been doing. This is uh, Decoding 666, part 3. And we need to pray. As I've mentioned uh, yesterday and the day before, this is the message that really goes the deepest into the heart. So let us pray that God will help us and bless us and speak that I'll get out of the way and he'll speak through me to, uh, to all of our hearts. So let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much that you've gathered us together. Thank you for all the people that have been working so hard to make this event possible. And now we, we pray, it's, it's the Sabbath. This is the, uh, the main message during the Sabbath service. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to speak from heaven, to talk to our hearts and to go deep, deep, deep we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we've been looking at Revelation 13, verse 18, and there it is on the screen. The Bible says, Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count or calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number is 603 score or uh, 660 and 6. Now, I'm just going to be very straightforward with you today, if that's okay. I think that's what most people want. You know, we, we live in an age where there's too much beating around the bush. Wouldn't you agree? And we need to just say it like it is. And so I've built my case for the last uh, couple meetings that the beast described in Revelation 13 is a symbol of the Roman Catholic Church as a system, not the individual people, many of whom are godly people and who are going to be in the kingdom of, of heaven, but it's the system. And then when, the, when it talks about the man, it is the number of a man, that man is the head of the Roman church. Specifically, it's a reference to the Pope, not necessarily his, his, uh, his character or his, uh, his individual, you know, who he is as a person, but it's his office. 
It's the office of the Pope. Uh, the Bible also talks about the name of the beast and the number of his name. And I've talked about this last night, that the, the specific name that is, uh, perfectly fulfills the prophecy is a Latin name, which is Vicarius Philidi, which means that the Pope is the uh, vicar or the representative of the Son of God. That's what the claim is. And when you do the math, like we talked about last night, I went through all the history behind this, Vicarius, as a Latin title, has numerical value. And it adds up to 112. And Philae, which means, uh, Vicarius means vicar, and Philae means son, and Di means God, the numerical value of Philae comes to 53, and of Di comes to 501. And when you do the math, as the text says, here is wisdom, let him count or calculate the number of the beast. It is the number of a man, and the number is 666. And the facts fit uh, perfectly. And last night, I explained all this. I went through a lot of details. So if you weren't here last night, you might want to watch last night's message, or you can pick up the book if you'd like, and it goes into all the all the historical details. Now, I want to zero in in this grand finale on Revelation 15, verse 2. So let's take a look at this. Revelation 15, 2. John wrote, I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the what? They got the victory over the beast, which is the Roman church and its traditions and deceptions that have come in to Christianity, and over his image, and the image is really what happens within Protestantism in America when Protestantism grabs a hold of the state like the Roman church basically grabbed the state during the Dark Ages to enforce its will, and Protestantism is going to do the same thing, unfortunately, in America. It is going to, in an hour of desperation, it's going to grab a hold of state power. It's going to become an image of the Roman Catholic Church system, and it is going to enforce a mark which really comes from the Roman Catholic Church, which is the observance of Sunday, of the first day of the week, which is not really the biblical Sabbath. And they're going to enforce this without really understanding what they're doing as a final last-ditch effort to try to, to help the world in a final crisis. And the Bible says that God is going to have a people who get the victory over the beast, and we need to know who the beast is, over his image, we need to know what the image is, and over his mark, we need to know what the mark is, and then it says, and over the number of his name. We need to know what the name is, and we need to know what the number is. It says they are going to stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. This is an amazing verse. It tells us that God's going to have a people who not only know 
who the beast is, what the image is, what the mark is, what the name is, and what the number is, but they are going to get the victory over the entire sequence. Do you see that? And this tells us that this must have something to do with us because we want to be the people who get the victory over these powers. Are you following me? It's got to be practical. It's got to have some practical value to me. And I believe it does. It's got a very deep practical value. Because when you look at the beast and the image and the mark and the name and the number, they all have something in common. Actually, they have two things in common. Two things in common. And I have done a lot of study on this. I've wrestled with these things, trying to understand, trying to get wisdom about this prophecy. And I believe that the Lord led me, uh, not long ago, to Psalm 119. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119, and let's look at verse 21. There are two things that the beast, the image, the mark, and the name have in common. And they're both identified in Psalm 119, verse 121. I'm sorry, not 121, 21. I wrote that down wrong on my notes. Verse 21. Here it is. David wrote this. He said, You have rebuked what kind of people? Uh, my Bible says, You have rebuked the proud that are cursed which do err from your what? From your commandments. Right, so here it talks about the, the proud that stray away from the commandments of God. And if you look at the beast that has a mouth speaking great things, it's a proud power. In Daniel 7, it says he would think to change times and laws. So the proud beast has gone against God's law. The image of the beast does the same thing. The image follows in the footsteps of the beast and becomes proud and then enforces a day which is contrary to God's law. And the name of the beast, Vicarius Philidi, is a title that popes have applied to themselves that they are supposedly the a voice of God on earth, the representatives of God on earth, the vicars of God on earth, and yet even the titles of the popes, they have a very strong uh, reflection of 
pride and self-exaltation and they stray away from the commandments of God. Now, uh, years ago, it was in 1986 actually, I went through a, a very dark time in my life. I went through a real battle. I heard a minister once say, as he looked at the crowd, he said, uh, some people don't think that Christians struggle, that Christians shouldn't struggle. And then he said, but they do. He said, Christians do struggle. And then he said, you know, you know how I know that? And then he looked at the crowd and he said, I know that because you're struggling. <laughs> at least many of them were. And we all have battles that we have to fight. We all have struggles that we have to endure. And years ago, in 1986, I was going through a very uh, dark struggle. And I got on my knees one night, I turned off the lights, I, this was before I got married, and I got on my knees and I just prayed, dear God, please help me to understand what's happening inside me. Help me to make sense of my confusion. Get me out of this crisis. I'm in trouble. I need help. If you don't help me, I'm going to probably leave the church. What do I do? You ever prayed a desperate prayer? And in my hour of desperation, this, uh, this conviction came to me like, like the voice, the little voice that spoke to Elijah. And the, the voice, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was a conviction. And the voice said, pray for the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Spirit of truth to guide you into all truth so you can understand the Bible. So that's what I started doing. I started praying. I said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. And I just said, Lord, give me the Spirit of truth to guide me into all truth. And I'm going to make a long story short, but uh, in the next few weeks and, and months and the next couple years even, uh, little by little, I kept praying for the Holy Spirit, and little by little, things began to clear up inside my head. The confusion that I was going through started uh, becoming clear. And one of the big things that God really revealed to me through the Holy Spirit was that my biggest problem was me. You ever heard uh, somebody put a, a little sticker on a refrigerator that said, Lord, I found the problem. It's me. And then there was a response on the little sticker that said, my child, I have the answer. And it's me. <laughs> me meaning the Lord. The Lord is the answer. And in my uh, study, as, the, as I began to pray for the Holy Spirit, some, somewhere in this journey, I began to be convicted to start studying pride in the Bible. The danger of pride. And I read this verse in Ezekiel 28, 17, where this beautiful, brilliant angel, this perfect angel, this magnificent angel, uh, God said, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your brightness. And I realized that Lucifer, you know, it was his pride that turned him into a devil, a shiny angel into a devil. And then I began to study the Bible, and I began to study 
uh, different nations and history, and I began to see the, the evil of pride throughout the Bible. Uh, Babylon, Jeremiah 50, verse 31, says Babylon became the most proud. Assyria, Isaiah 10, verse 12, talks about the high looks of Assyria. Israel, Isaiah, uh, Hosea 5, 5, talks about the pride of Israel. The Pharisees, Luke 18, 11, Jesus told about the, the Pharisee who prayed with himself and said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like other men not like this poor tax collector. Laodicea, Revelation 13, 17. Laodicea, God's final church, says, you, Jesus said, you say you are rich and you are increased with goods and you have need of how much? Of nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That you have a lot of real spiritual problems, spiritual needs, but Laodicea doesn't understand that. Revelation 17 verse 8 talks about final Babylon that sits, she says, I sit as a queen and I shall see no sorrow. I'm not a widow anymore. And you can trace the pride in all of that, can't you? And it all goes back to the devil the pride of the devil. You know, it's very interesting that the expression 666 is used in Revelation 13, 18. In the first edition of my book on 666, I put that it's, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the only place in the Bible where 666 is referred to. That's what I put in my first edition of the book. But then a couple of people called me on that, uh, of this first edition. They, they called me on that and they said, Steve, that's not right. There is one other reference in the Old Testament to 666. Anybody have any idea where that is? It's, that's right, Solomon. It's in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14, where it says that the amount of gold, the weight of gold that was given to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. And I've been thinking about that, that the verse in Revelation 666 takes us back to 1 Kings 10, 14, where Solomon got all the gold, that amount of gold. And, and many times in Revelation, it has links to Old Testament events or prophecies or statements to help us to understand Revelation. And I thought about the whole issue of gold. You know, Babylon has gold on the outside. In Revelation 17, she's decked with uh, jewels and gold and precious stones on the outside. But in Revelation 3, when Jesus talks to Laodicea and points out the problem of Laodicea being rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing, then in verse 18, Revelation 3:18, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me, anybody remember? 
gold tried in the fire. Now, the gold that Jesus is telling Laodicea to buy is not the outer gold, the physical gold that Babylon puts on. It's, it's a different kind of gold. It's the gold of character. And, you know, it's very interesting. I, I mentioned this last night that the United States government now has a $30 trillion debt. And as the, uh, as the debt is going up, there's a lot of people these days that are realizing that the dollar uh, is having problems and that gold is very valuable. Are you aware of that? That gold prices are going up. As we're getting closer to the final crisis, gold prices are going up. And I've thought about and, and I've concluded that as we get into the final hours, God wants gold to go up as well. But he's not primarily referring to the gold of this world. He's referring to the gold of character. That's the gold that God wants to rise. And that's the gold that Jesus is offering Laodicea. And that gold, that golden character is the opposite of the pride of the devil. And the beast, and the image, and the mark, and the name. And the number takes us back to 1 Kings 10.14 that focuses on the gold. And God is looking to develop golden characters. Let's go to the verse that we read in the scripture reading. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 4. This is a biblical description of the pride of the beast. It says it right here. It says that he opposes and he exalts who? Himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Here's a verse from a very famous, well-known Catholic uh, encyclopedia or a dictionary. It's a monumental book by Lucius Ferraris, the Prompta Bibliotheca Canonica. And it says, the article is called Concerning the Extent of Papal Dignity, Authority, or Dominion and Infallibility. And the statement says that the Pope is of so great dignity and so exalted that he is not a mere man, but as it were God and the vicar of God. The Pope alone is called most holy. Hence, the Pope is crowned with a triple crown as king of heaven and king of earth. Now, this is quite an amazing, uh, amazing statement. And it fits perfectly with 2 Thessalonians 2. They mirror each other. 2 Thessalonians 2.4 says that this power would exalt itself above God. And this statement from the uh, Catholic publication says exactly that. Exactly that. And as I've looked at this, I look at the text that says he exalts himself. I look at the quote here. 
from their uh, massive document, and I look at Lucifer, and I look at Babylon, and Assyria, and Israel, and the Pharisees, and Laodicea, and mystical Babylon, and I hope you see where I'm going with this, that we have a, we have a thread of self-exaltation from Lucifer on down to Laodicea and to Babylon. And the reality is, the real truth is that this problem is not just a papal problem, right? It's not just a problem of the Pope or of Babylon or of Assyria or of Laodicea. Whose ultimate problem is it? It's, it's the human problem. It's the problem of humanity. What we see in the beast, the image, the mark, and the name is all a reflection in the mirror, so to speak, of human nature, of the nature that we all have, that I've got and that you've got. We've all got this same problem. Years ago, my wife and I lived in Texas, and I remember we lived in Fort Worth, not far from here, and I remember uh, this was right after we got married. I was driving down the highway one day, and I saw a billboard on the side of the road. And it was an, an advertisement for the Navy, if you want to join the Navy. And the advertisement showed a picture of a submarine under the water. It was the ocean with a submarine. And the, the headline said this. It said, our pride runs deep. So join the Navy. And as I thought about that, I, you know, I pondered that. And I thought, our pride runs deep. Our pride runs deep. And I thought, isn't that the problem of the human race? Isn't that the problem of humanity? Isn't that my problem? Isn't that your problem? Self-exaltation is the problem that we all have to wrestle with. Um, Somebody once said, pride is the only disease that makes everybody else sick except the one that has it. I see a physician in the back there that I know quite well, Dr. Hoppus. And Dr. Hoppus, I don't know if there's any a diagnostic tool that can, uh, you know, diagnose the disease of pride in the human heart. I'm not aware of that. I heard a story about uh, Bob and Bill talking to each other, and Bob was doing all the talking, Bill didn't have a chance to say anything, and uh, Bob finally got a little bit of conscience bothering him, and he said, he said, Bill, we've been talking about me all this time. He said, let's talk about you. And then he said, what do you think of me? <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, a reflection of the problem of the human heart, human pride. Here's a very um, amazing uh, picture of a slide, shocking slide. On the one side, you see the Pope sitting on a throne in the Vatican, a great white throne with golden angels on each side of him. Now, what does that remind you of? In the sanctuary, the Bible says God dwells between the cherubim. 
It's God who sits on a great white throne. Revelation 20 describes a great white throne, the final day of judgment. It's God that sits on the great white throne. He sits between the cherubim. But here's a picture of a man sitting on a, on a white throne between the cherubim, claiming to be the representative of Jesus Christ. And right next to it, you have the real Jesus hanging on a cross, suffering for the sins of the world, agonizing in pain because of human sin, the root of which is self-exaltation. See that? I hope the Holy Spirit uh, talks to your talks to your heart. I, I read a quote some time ago from Pope Francis, and it was a good quote. He said, if we want to grow spiritually, we have to realize our smallness. And I thought, that's a good quote. I thought, that's right. And when I read that, I thought, I hope that the Holy Spirit is striving with Pope Francis. You know? If Pope Francis were to really be moved by the Spirit of God and realize his smallness, he would get off the throne, the great white throne, and he would let Jesus be the only one that people look to as the King of kings and Lord of lords. I mean, I hate to say this, but it's true that the vicarious philide that claims to be the representative of Jesus Christ is really the representative of the devil. Have mercy. Because he's exhibiting perfectly those characteristics where it's the devil who exalts himself. That's why it's referred to also in the Bible as the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So how do, how do we get the victory over the same pride that we're looking at that makes us want to sit on the throne of our lives, on the throne of our hearts, the throne of our hearts? You know, we all have a little pope inside of our hearts, a little pope inside of you and inside of me that wants to exalt ourselves and go our own way and do our own thing and think that we know better than God. We all have that problem, including me. We've all got it. We've all been infected by the virus. And I'm not talking about the coronavirus. This is the pride virus. This is the sin virus. And the biblical solution is right there on the screen. James 4.10 says, humble, and what's the next word? Yourself, not your wife or your husband or your friends, but humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The greatest battle that ever fought is not going on in the Ukraine as terrible of a war as that is. The greatest battle ever fought is the battle against self. It's the tendency that we all have 
that's reflected in Catholicism and in the Pope and in the office and in the title and in the name and all that sequence, that pride reflected there is the same pride that we have here. Same pride. Same pride. You know what the two hardest words to say in the human language are? I'm sorry. Hardest words to say. I heard about a little girl that was mean to her brother and her mom said, uh, honey, you need to say I'm sorry to your brother. She was clearly wrong. And the little girl just stood there and her face turned red and the mother said, honey, say I'm sorry to your brother. And she couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. It, she couldn't get it out because it's very hard to say, I'm sorry. It's hard to humble ourselves. It's hard to let Jesus sit on the throne, to let him be Lord of our lives. It's not easy. It's difficult. But God is calling us to humble ourselves. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me. The problem in the end times is the world is going in the wrong direction and they're coming to the wrong man. They're coming to the man whose number is 666. And Jesus says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. Jesus is calling us to come to him and learn of him a totally different way of living Amen. than the way of the world and the way of Babylon and the way of Laodicea. It's the way of humility, humbling ourselves and learning meekness and lowliness. And this is a hard lesson for proud human beings to learn. It's very hard. Uh, I, I, I know a relative of mine, is, she's, uh, she's really into Star Trek. And uh, if you've ever watched Star Trek, there's an evil entity called the Borg. B-O-R-G, the Borg. And what the Borg does is they assimilate people. And they say, uh, you will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. That's the classic line of the Borg. And I've thought about that. I think, you know, we can learn some lessons even from, um, from movies sometime. And when you think about that spiritually, the devil's goal is to assimilate us so that we have his character. That's his goal, to assimilate your character so you become just like him. So you become proud and arrogant and self-righteous and self-exalting. But Jesus' goal is to uh, merge us into his character so that we learn the lessons of meekness and lowliness of heart and that's how we will find rest for our souls. It's amazing that rest 
and peace and joy and happiness comes through humility. The Bible says, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, in, in Zephaniah, it says, seek meekness. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Seek meekness. We already read Psalm 119, verse 21. God says, he rebukes the proud who are cursed, who have strayed from his commandments. And in the final crisis, and we are not far away from the final crisis, in the final crisis, when the beast and the image and the mark are enforced by law around the world, if we, ha if we enter into that crisis with pride and self-exaltation in our hearts, then we will buckle and we will yield and we will go along with the beast, the image, and we will get the mark in the forehead and in the hand. And do you know what the mark of the beast is in the final analysis? The mark of the beast is a mark in the mind, in the actions, and in the heart where we are proud commandment breakers just like the beast. We're, we're marked. We're marked with that character. We're marked with that arrogance. We're marked with that pride. It is seared into the soul. And we're, we'll be lost forever. Lost forever. And now's the time when Jesus is trying to open our eyes and give us the Holy Spirit and help us to see the beauty of a golden character, which is a character of love and humility. Amen. That is the gold. Uh, Revelation 14, verse 4 says, They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And eventually, everybody's going to have one or the other of the two characters. We're either going to be proud commandment breakers or we're going to be humble and loving commandment keepers. Amen. One or the other. There is no neutral ground. It's one or the other. I'm just about done here. Uh, it was mentioned, and I think I mentioned this a couple days ago, that today is an important day for me. Today is my anniversary. So what am I doing here? <laughs> well, my wife said to me, she said, because uh, she loves Texas. We were in Texas. We have lots of friends in Texas. And she, she said, I said, honey, uh, Pat Humphrey just invited me to speak at ASI, and it's on our anniversary. And uh, she said, you can go, it's okay, you can go, I want you to go. She said, if it was our 25th, that would be different. But it's our 22nd, and she said, I, I can live with that. 
she said, uh, go, to, go to Texas. So that's why I'm here. And you know, when I think about my anniversary and my wedding to my wife, Kristen, who I love and my children, you know, I, I'm thinking about another wedding and another marriage. And I'm thinking about a bridegroom who hung on a cross because of the sin of the world, of self-exaltation and pride, these evil things, and how Jesus wants to take these things out of us, Amen. take them all out of us, so we don't exalt, you know, speakers among us, you know, well-known speakers. Let's not exalt speakers. If we do, it's like exalting the Pope. Now, we don't have any popes among us. We shouldn't. We should just be humble followers of Jesus. Um, Jesus is trying to take pride and arrogance out of us, out of all of us. And that includes me. He's trying to clean us up because I want to tell you something. Don't miss this. Jesus is not going to marry a proud church. He's not. He's going to marry his bride, which is going to be a humble church that has learned the lesson of meekness and lowliness of heart, who has, who's composed of people that have humbled themselves in the sight of the Lord so that he can lift us up. Here's my last slide. Slide on the text and I'll, we'll read uh, Revelation 15 verse 2, which is what we almost started with. Revelation 15 verse 2. And then I'm done. Got to, I squeeze this in in 45 minutes. I know we're tight on our time today. I know we have a lot of other things to do, but I think 45 minutes. I think I can, you know, I think it's worth your time. I think so. Revelation 15, verse 2. John says, I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast. And I would include its pride and commandment breaking. And over the image which is its pride and commandment breaking, and over his mark, which is his pride and commandment breaking expressed in the enforcement of the papal day, and over the number of his name, that self-exalting name, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Hallelujah. Someday God's going to have a group of people that sing this song salvation to our God who sits on the throne. He's on the throne, not me. <laughs> salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb who was willing to humble himself and to be crucified on a cruel cross because he loves you and he loves me and he was willing to go to do anything and everything so he could change our lives, assimilate us into his character of love and humility so we can be like him. Amen. That's what it's all about. And may God help us 
to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and of the Lamb speaking to Laodicea and to us in these final days to prepare us for the crisis ahead so that we will be on the side of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Bible and humility and love and obedience to the commandments of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Bless us all. Help us to be followers of the Lamb and to get the victory over the self-exaltation and pride of this world through the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.